Today on the Corn Revolution Podcast, we're going to learn how pioneer technologists take a peek under the hood of pioneer seeds. Welcome to Episode 10 of the Corn Revolution Podcast. Today, my guest is Hillary Sullivan, Research Director at Pioneer. We will discuss the many benefits of pioneer technologists getting their boots muddy, how this leads to a faster feedback loop for research, and why building pioneer seeds is like building with Legos. Hillary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Well, I'd like to start off just by asking you just about you. So uh, what's your title here? What do you do? And tell us a little bit about uh, how long you've been here and how you got started. Sure. So uh, my, I am a research director um, within the R&D program here. I lead a team that's focused on technology. And so my background is a little different than a lot of folks here at the organization. Um, I started 22 years ago. Um, I grew up in southwest Florida. And so my initial research aims were to study sharks okay. stingrays. Okay, So not um, <laughs> a farm background, um, not even an agronomy background. But what I really did love was molecular biology, genes, um, and systems. And so that's where I started my early career interests. Uh, family reasons, we uh, moved to Iowa, and I started working with Pioneer, working on genes of corn plants. 22 years later, uh, that's what I still do. Um, I've expanded a bit to look at the technology that helps us understand the genetics of our plants, um, and also now starting to understand some of the biology of the plants, the reproductive biology. So starting to look at ways in which we can um, harness the power of these plants in a very, very different, very, very um, innovative way. Okay. So your first exposure to agriculture, or let's say production-type agriculture, was it here in Iowa? It was. Okay, in, and through Pioneer? That is correct, in okay. 1996. All right. Yeah. So doing what you do in the lab and with the research, uh, was there a steep learning curve for you there in terms of the world of farming, the world of agriculture? Yes, it was steep, and I still learn something new every single day. And that's the beauty of a career with this organization and in this field is from a technologist point of view, I am still learning about our business, about our customers, about the agricultural systems. Um, And the importance of learning about that is that it keeps me relevant with Mm -hmm. where I'm helping to lead technologies uh, to provide new opportunities in those agricultural spaces. But it's it's an actual real joy uh, for the role that I have is to be able to keep learning not only about technology and innovation, but about the systems themselves. Okay. Well, so there's so much that you do that for a layperson like me is very difficult to understand. And I understand that you have been able to speak with farmers in the past and to kind of explain what you do Mm -hmm. and to get feedback from them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One of the really critical parts of a role like mine and part of the role of R&D in general is maintaining a close connection with our farmer growers. Uh, 
in in that connectivity, we find uh, that we may um, have made a false assumption about what is needed or what the biggest priority is to solve. We are fundamentally solvers. If you mm-hmm. boil down the role, uh, we're here to try to solve really big problems, in my case, through a technical lens. Um, but maintaining that customer contact helps us understand, are we solving the right problems? Um, we can get very enamored with all of the technical uh, capabilities that we have available to us. It's really mm-hmm. imperative that we ensure that uh, we are applying those to the real-world problems um, that our growers need and are relying on us to solve. And so that connectivity is actually very, very critical. It's very crucial. Absolutely, because there is a big chain of people between you and the lab and the, the grower who is yeah. planting the seed. Yes, yeah. it's, it's immense. <laughs> and that's the chain I learn about uh, da- daily. Um, but what's so interesting, um, what I have found, and I think it's to your point, how do you, how do you bridge this gap between um, a technologist and a grower? Mm-hmm. Uh, what I have found, is it just gets down to passion. What, is, what are we all passionate about? Mm-hmm. And that is about um, improving lives through greater productivity, through improving um, our planet and our and our environment. As soon as you connect on that level, then the conversation gets real simple, real fast, because we've we've met our common purpose, and then you you build up from there. I'm sure there are letters behind your name uh, when it comes to that. What what did you study in college? Yeah, so I was a biology major. Uh, my um, my original career goal was veterinary medicine, and thus the the shark and stingrays. Okay, um, I pivoted out of veterinary medicine and started looking at um, molecular and cellular biology. Big seems a little daunting, but it really isn't. It's about understanding uh, DNA, and it's about understanding how cells work. So kind of the inner workings of our biological So says the molecular biologist. It's not daunting at all. It Uh is, yeah. Uh It is a lot of fun. It's about, uh, the way I describe it, it's about um, understanding what's under the hood of a living organism. And the really cool thing is that it didn't matter if it was a shark or a stingray. It was transferable to a corn plant. Okay. Um, So... It, it it was one of those fields of study that uh, was transferable. You could take what you learned and apply it almost anywhere. The big surprise was how um, incredibly fun and innovative, um, and the solutions were so challenging within agriculture in terms of what agriculture was trying to solve for. That was the big surprise um, in taking a, an interest in what's under the hood into well, how are we going to build, you know, the chassis? How are we going to build this frame around what's under this hood, and you know, turn it into a Ferrari? Just, hmm. just, you know, tear, tear loose with 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 this potential. That that's really where my career landed. Well, corn is kind of a Ferrari, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It's amazing what can be done with it. It is extraordinary, and we believe. I think it's part of this revolutionary concept. There, it's not even close to being tapped, the potential of, of these plants. Um, they're extraordinary, and they're, they're very interesting. They're very complex. Um, so as you're looking under the hood, uh, we get surprised all the time at what's actually there, what's actually driving mm-hmm. the performance of these plants. That's what, um, that's what I do. I build, um, and the teams that I lead and work with, we build systems that get us the ability to, to see what's in that plant, what the potential of a certain plant is, 
and then um, explore that potential uh, and then poise the, ourselves in a position where we're ready to seize that potential. And it's simply by understanding what's in that plant and what is it capable of doing, especially under certain environments. That's sort of this new um, area of understanding where we can pull together, okay, this is what's, what's driving this plant's potential. This is how that potential manifests itself out in a field. Um, where do we want to position this potential? How do we want to uh, work with this? What do our farmers, what do our growers need? And matching that potential with those needs. Okay. Now, I want to ask you about this. So when you do get in front of that audience of farmers and you get to have that one-on-one interaction, what is it that you're able to say to them that helps them understand what's going on here better and why Pioneer Seeds are are going to help them with their goals? So bottom line is that by being able to peek into every single seed, and, and this is true, We are looking and understanding the genetics behind every single product that we sell and every single attempt at creating a product that that has gone into our pipeline. We understand those genetics. And in that way, we are able to very rapidly, very precisely create combinations that we believe are going to be different in in the marketplace. They're going to be different in the fields. They're going to be more responsive to weather changes. Uh, so, what what the team um, the the team of technology, the team of people that drive this technology, they're creating the ability to understand that genetic potential in every one of those seeds. There are elements um, now where you. Pull in your um, computer science. So we've got a lot of really interesting um, knowledge about what to make, uh, how to make sense of the genetics. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of technology that's coming in that will actually report um, on the health of a plant um, through innovation in science there. So you're not having to dig into the plant anymore. You can simply tell what it's doing by color in some cases. Packaging all of that together dramatically accelerates not only the speed of which we can develop the products, but the quality of these products and the fitness for these products in in the environments by which we intend to sell them. That's interesting. Uh, So when it comes to these problems that we're trying to solve, is that all... uh, is that all driven by feedback coming out of the field, coming off of different farms around the country and around the world? Mm-hmm. For the most part, yes. And with uh, technologies around um, sensing, in-field sensing, with the satellite technologies, with, with oh, that whole space of digital ag really, really accelerating, um, the knowledge and the 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 granularity of what problems need to be solved is growing and so we're we're solvers. <laughs> so as we get more articulate about what problems need to be solved, whether that's through a customer directly, whether it's through data collected from a customer in a farmer's farm, whether it's a, a global you know, spatial map, um, it's fine-tuning where we need to be solving. And okay. that is uh, feeding into these systems that I mentioned are able to accelerate our ability to solve 
And so when you put the two together, we can accelerate the solution per se, and we're getting far more articulate about what needs to be solved. We're, we're, we're right on the uh, cusp of really exciting uh, products that are going to be really fine-tuned to what, what we need. Interesting. So the fine-tuning, how does that work? How do you how do you get away from the peripheral things involved and get down to the root cause problem that you're mm-hmm. trying to solve? Uh, so it is about, not to be too technical, but it's about understanding what's under the hood from the genetics. It's understanding when I put that seed into multiple environments, this is how this plant is responding to mm-hmm. these environments. Um, and we can look very technically and to what that response means in a field. So we're taking a biological measurement. We've already got the genetic measurement. Now we start to put that together with management as well. What happens if we apply X or what happens if we don't apply Y? Starting to pull all of that together, that then gives us real confidence from an amount of data perspective to predict a product's performance in particular environments. And so that is this, um, the power of what we call in the industry predictions. We're taking all of that genetic signal, biological signal, response to management, response to weather, packaging it all together, and coming up with some pretty good ideas about how that product is going to perform in different stressors, in different environments. we don't get it right all the time. It is still mm-hmm. a biological entity, <laughs> um, and uh, there are there are still some um, unknowns, and that's where we really want to partner with our customers. And to your question earlier, how much are we relying on signals, you know, from fields, from customers? Mm-hmm. Um, it is very imperative that we maintain a good, solid, sound relationship with our growers because we do need those signals. Um, when we are expecting a result and we get something different, mm-hmm. it's incredibly important to understand what that difference is. We take that learning in plug it back into our system, and hopefully that learning in and of itself will drive better products in the future. Now, is is every new development of a seed variety, is that a building block that the next variety will be made from? Mm-hmm. That's a r- really good question. In fact, I think that is one of the differences in the Pioneer product development pipeline um, compared to, to the past, um, is that we're cycling these genetics uh, more quickly. For instance, um, if we had a really superior product, um, we'd make and sell a lot of that product. Mm -hmm. Uh, The difference now is that once we realize we have a really powerful product, um, our product development teams immediately start to recombine parts of the, the, the parent composition with others uh, so that we are continuously and far, in a far more accelerated manner driving those genetics further okay. and faster than we have in the past, meaning decades. Okay. So you tell me if this scenario makes any sense, but this is just what's popping into my head as you talk about this. So if if each new development is a building block to the next development, um, obviously there have been trends, there's been problems you've been trying to solve that have led to the development of 
building block A, building block B, C, D, on and on and on. So then what if the trend changes, but your building blocks were developed for drought resistance, but now things are too wet on a more on a trending basis or something like that? How do you how do you overcome that Mm -hmm. or what do you do? Yep. It's a really excellent question. Um, Keep in mind that historically over time, that all that knowledge that I was describing that that um, our product development teams utilize to make those best uh, combinations keeps building as well. So it, when you go to A to B to C to D, mm-hmm. that's born of an, of an ever-increasing set of knowledge. And so what that signifies is adaptability and flexibility in being able to uh, pivot to uh, react because the knowledge base just keeps uh, increasing. So if you think about it, if you had a, a Lego structure and you start off with your very large you know, kindergarten level Duplo bo- blocks, mm-hmm. um, what we're getting to is a level of granularity of understanding where we're getting into the little tiny micro pieces that might just have, have one little wedge on it uh, so that we can get very... Um, we can create very fine structures. If you do use the Lego analogy, you can get very complex and very fine structures mm-hmm. because your basic unit is far more discrete and known. Effectively, that's what the future is with corn breeding is the more and more our knowledge base increases. And with these technical tools um, that teams like that mine deliver and, and the colleagues that you'll be speaking with later, their teams are also critical at being able to shuffle uh, these Lego pieces into to new combinations. Um, we each have our own uh, functional uh, contribution. But it's very important to understand that it is the system that makes the difference. Um, it's about each and every one of us um, delivering the best innovations, um, the, the best capabilities. But we do so with an integrated end-to-end systems mindset, and that's the power. So that when you have to go back and respond and pivot, mm-hmm. um, you, you pull together all those resources in a cohesive manner. It gives you far greater uh, adaptability and flexibility. So I like the Lego example. Uh, that helps me a lot. But unfortunately, I'm stuck at the elementary. Huge Legos. That's where I live. So I want to ask, if, if the trend changed, but you have, you've been building the Lego set for years and in, in fine-tuning with the small, fine pieces, and the trend changes, do you have to go back to that elementary Lego and start building again? Uh, no. And that's because of some of these technologies that we have now available to us. Uh, we can reshuffle that deck in ways that we couldn't uh, back when our understanding was just the big blocks. Okay. So it is a combination. It's a, if the Lego size is a reflection of what we know, mm-hmm. um, the ability to rearrange is about our technical capabilities, okay. if that makes sense. It does. Okay. Okay. Good. So let me give you a scenario. And this may make no sense, but it's on the fly. So let's say that reports coming in from around the country uh, from farmers are uh, our growing seasons are getting longer. Uh, we're seeing overall less precipitation than normal, um, and our crops are are in the field longer. And we've got to, we're planting earlier where we can harvest later. We want to adjust to this. Mm-hmm. That report comes into you, your team. What do you do? It would come into our our product development group. Okay. 
Okay. And our product development group would say, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to look in our database and which of the genetics that we have today, if rearranged, would have the greatest probability of uh, solving and addressing that particular problem. So they can identify uh, virtually what what an ideal combination would look like in terms of the blocks, in terms of the Lego blocks. They then start sending the signals to uh, the other functions and say, okay, what we need to do is go in and uh, create, uh, through biological means, we need to start crossing and creating these combinations. We need to shuffle these Legos. But this is the structure that we want. This is what this this Lego needs to look like. Mm-hmm. That's what a group like um, ours will help with, is defining what, what does this structure look like from a genetics view? And if we can get that right, if we can find that we hit it, aha, this is what our product development uh, team is asking for, um, they will then say, this is the one we're going to move forward. Now we're, let's go get it in the field. Will this structure perform like we thought it would? Mm-hmm. They test there, so that's a totally different team. And they keep testing and testing, and finally uh, they'll find it. Uh, because we have the ability to search through a ton of Legos, a ton of combinations. So it is about numbers. It's about volume, being able to create a bunch of new combinations, Mm -hmm. to be able to describe what that combination actually is, to know what combination we're looking for, and then to go and validate that combination. So that, um, that really is the product development pipeline. So the the problem emerges, it gets reported back to Pioneer, and then there's a team that says, what will it look like to solve this? And once we've designed what we think it'll look like to solve it, then another team builds it. Builds it with biology, and then creates we it. Test it. We test it. Okay. And Goes back into the field. They test it there. Okay. And they're constantly checking back on what the what the original uh, design wanted to be, what okay. it needed to be. And then it's a yes, a maybe, or a no. And with all of those different facets of the process, are they built to be, I mean, is it purposely designed to be as like a system of checks and balances? Yes. Yeah, very much so. It is a numbers game. Um, part of what um, our role as technologists is, is to create the ability to increase those numbers without increasing the cost. Okay. Okay, so a lot of what the technology that we get excited about is looking for ways in which we can survey lots and lots of more combinations to find that ideal combination without paying more money for it, uh, thus you know, helping our overall organization and cost. Um, so the checks and balances often is about what are our capabilities? Do we have the resources to be able to screen all of the combinations that could be made? Um, do we need to uh, be more purposeful? Do we need to be a bit more um, discreet in about what we're testing and how many resources that we're utilizing? In that regard, there's a check and a balance. And then when you speak with um, plant breeding colleagues, they have a whole universe of checks and balances, I'm sure, mm-hmm. uh, within how they advance products um, that I simply uh, don't have the knowledge to speak to. Okay. Now, were you part of the process and the development of varieties like Aquamax and Chrome? 
Yes, yeah. So our lab and the technologies that are in it, um, yes, we're, we're rather instrumental in that um, Aquamax was a native trait. So the Aquamax product line utilizes um, the inherent diversity within corn plant. And they, a team was able to identify what part of that genetic code, that what was under the hood, was accountable for that um, ability uh, to, to perform under drought conditions. And that was through um, some of the technologies that we developed. We mm-hmm. made available some of those uh, forensic tools, if you will. It's a lot like uh, forensics, where we go in and, and look for certain things. Mm-hmm. In that case... A team discovered a certain element that was important. We developed a marker that could track that element. We had the scale to, to push a lot of plants through and keep tracking that element so that that could be selected for and maintained um, in, in the field. We knew that it was there, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yes, the technologies were pretty instrumental in providing, once again, that look under the hood and making sure that what was so important uh, was maintained. Now, when you work on a project like that, uh, take Aquamax, since we're talking about Aquamax, and it, it goes beyond your department, it goes out for testing, it goes out to the field for testing, and then ultimately goes out into the marketplace, and it's successful. Mm-hmm. Is there some sort of party or something like that, finally, after that, all of that? Yeah, there is. Um, and it, you have to be patient in this field, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> in, in this space. Uh, but yes, and um, I, I really do want to reiterate, uh, we're one part of something mm-hmm. that um, is much bigger than any one part. Um, and so we do. We get back together, and we can all collectively celebrate. You know, we should be here um, every day that we're here. We should be contributing to that next product. And whether they are incremental in value or really disruptive in value in a really good way, uh, we all take a lot of pride in that. So when we get the, the really big outcomes, um, yes, we do take time. We pause. We celebrate as an organization. Because when you get a product like that out the door, uh, there's very few people that did not contribute. Sure. Yeah. And it sounds like it's the culmination of lots of hours and many years. That is true. Absolutely correct. Now, you mentioned a term a moment ago. You said native trait. Mm. And I could guess to what that is, but okay. I'd just rather have you tell okay. me. Okay. Thank you. I'd be happy to provide that clarification. Um, a native trait is um, a... Um, it is a naturally occurring uh, gene, which encodes for a certain um, outcome. So it's okay. one of those um, components that occurs naturally within an organism. We call it native, meaning it was not transgenic. It was not introduced to the, the organism or the plant. So a native trait, when we talk about that in corn, means that um, we discovered something in there uh, that was already there. It's always been there. Uh, versus a transgenic trait, where you take um, a genetic segment from an organism that is, um, in some cases, not the, the same organism, and you introduce that. And that trait then confers 
uh, different properties to the plant, uh, but that is called a transgenic. So that's the difference, native and transgenic. The significance of native traits is that um, they are, um, they've been there. So the path to uh, releasing a product is a different path than when you utilize a transgenic trait. They each have um, their benefits. They each have their hurdles. Uh, but that that's what a, the difference is. Okay. Okay. So you have been with Pioneer for 22 years. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you about the meaning of the name Pioneer. So uh, obviously there's the, there's the origins, there's the historical uh, beginnings of the name Pioneer uh, for the company. But then there's also what it means to you. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? So for me, you know, not growing up in Iowa or the Midwest or having ever known what Pioneer was and, until I, I literally landed at the Des Moines airport and, you know, wow, okay, here's Pioneer. <laughs> thought it was a, an audio <laughs> speaker <laughs> company. Um, you don't make speakers here? <laughs> <laughs> um, what it has come to mean for me um, with the legacy of its founders and with the colleagues that, that I've been working with for 22 years, it is a culture. It's a spirit. It's an outlook on I, – th- I would say it's a really an outlook on life um, where it's this blend of passion and um, incredible knowledge, um, intent, purpose um, to work and to deliver – Things to a community, a community of our customers are a part of our community. Um, the places that we live and work are a community. Um, we have a, the global community. Um, it's all blended up in, into the, what that, um, the meaning behind the Pioneer name, the logo, the brand itself. All right. And, and of course, we're talking today about the corn revolution. So I want to ask you the same question. Here's the, the, the emerging... The, the step forward for Pioneer. So what is the corn revolution? The scale that we are operating with today gave us the ability to increase our uh, our screening 10x with a 10x decrease in the amount of cost. So if you imagine, um, we're screening millions more, tens of millions more, We're screening tens of millions more for tens of millions less. And that data is flowing into a database that's growing by hundreds of millions of of knowledge units almost monthly. Um, And the products that are in the field right now were born from that scale. And that scale has been operating now for about seven years. So, and it's been increasing incrementally over, over the past seven. But in, in truth, the, the technology revolution did occur about seven years ago and yielded the products that we now have in our, in our pipeline today and will be in the fields this year. Um, and that, that is, that's the power and, of scale and of knowing what to do with the information you've generated. If you just generate a whole bunch of information, but you cannot turn that information into knowledge, all you have is a bunch of information. The revolution comes from not only how much knowledge we're generating about our products, but putting all of those 
individual Legos together to create the structure. So it's about scale, but it's also about knowing what to do with that knowledge. That's the revolution. Because you can generate a whole bunch of information and have it sit. But if you can generate a whole bunch of information and figure out what it's telling you and take a really crisp decision about that, that's when you have a revolution in the product lineup, product capability. So seven years ago, we, we, we knew what the genetics of a plant were. We could, we could understand what, the, what was under the hood. What we did not know seven years ago was what, was, what were those genetics going to do under multiple environments in the field. Okay. By putting together the understanding of what's under the hood and how it's going to perform on the road, that's the difference. What allowed you to put that together? Uh, some exceptional colleagues that pulled together really discreet mathematical algorithms. Hmm. Statistics. <laughs> Statistics allowed us to pull those, to put the glue in there to make an assumption and a really statistically sound assumption about what a code meant for how that plant was going to perform under different environments. So I would say the the background was statistics. The power where we've gotten really sound and solid in that connection is in scale. It's in Uh, dedicating resources to putting those plants into multiple environments and really understanding how do they perform in different environments. That is also part of the revolution. So what allowed you to adjust and increase that scale? We were able to save enough money on the genetics screening to afford the field testing. Okay. So it was an increase in field testing? Increase in field testing. It's phenotyping that's so very critical. And once we had solved the genotyping, Mm -hmm. and we could do it with enough numbers for a lot less money, we were able to divert our resources to then go tackle the phenotype. And that's the power. And when you say phenotype, you mean seeing the end result? Seeing how that seed and its how that seed grows in different environments, what the resulting plant stresses are or aren't. That's what really, really mattered. Well, Hillary, this has been great. Uh, You're a wealth of information, and I've got to tell you, you said it in a way that even I could understand it. So thank you so much for that. You're very welcome. And thank you, Matt. It was a pleasure meeting with you, and um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to to tell this story. It's it's, uh, really appreciated. That's episode 10 of the Corn Revolution podcast. Join me next week for episode 11 when I speak with Dean Podlick, lead of the Breeding Systems team. We dive deep into the changes that are the basis of the Corn Revolution, turning data collection into a 24-7 activity, and how that leads to predicting the next great products. To subscribe to the Corn Revolution podcast, just go to cornrevolution.com and choose your preferred podcast service. See you next time.
Pioneer brand Chrome products are discussed during this episode. Registrations, trademarks, and service marks are trademarks and service marks of DuPont, Dow AgriSciences, or Pioneer, and their affiliated companies or their respective owners. Copyright 2019 PHII. Pioneer brand products are provided subject to the terms and conditions of purchase, which are part of the labeling and purchase documents. Chrome products are approved for cultivation in the United States and Canada. They have also received approval in a number of importing countries, most recently China. For additional information about the status of regulatory authorizations, visit http colon forward slash forward slash www.biotradestatus.com forward slash. AgriSure is a registered trademark of and use under license from a Syngenta Group company. AgriSure Technology Incorporated into these seeds is commercialized under a license from Syngenta Crop Protection Ag. Herculex Extra Insect Protection Technology by Dow AgroSciences and Pioneer Hybrid. Herculex and the HX logo are registered trademarks of Dow AgroSciences LLC, YieldGuard, and the YieldGuard Corn Borer Design and Roundup Ready are registered trademarks used under license from Monsanto Company. Liberty Link and the Water Droplet Design are trademarks of Bayer. Pioneer brand Optimum Aquamax Hybrids is discussed in this episode. Registrations, trademarks, and service marks are trademarks and service marks of DuPont, Dow AgriSciences, or Pioneer, and their affiliated companies or their respective owners. Copyright 2019 PHII.